Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Luke chapter 9 in your copy of the Bible. I'm going to ask you to open it there or turn it on. If you came in today and don't have a copy of the Scriptures, uh, surely in a place like this, there's one close to you somewhere. So I encourage you to uh, look for that. I know some of you came in today uh, expecting to hear Dr. Alan Mosley preach. He was a wonderful expositor. He was on the schedule. His father passed away, I think, at 91 years of age, and he had needed to go and be with a family. So I'm happy and honored to be able to uh, fill in uh, for him. Luke chapter 9, a familiar passage of Scripture to many of you. End of the chapter, beginning with verse 57. Here's what the Word of the Lord says. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. You ever said that to Jesus? Selling out, not messing around anymore. Whatever you want me to do, clean slate. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. When I was a junior in college, I received some of the wisest counsel I think I've ever received in my life. You see, the situation was I, I was in love for the very first time. And I had been bitten by the bug and I was starry-eyed. All of those emotions that many of you have experienced, even to the point of saying, and maybe you said this, I, I really believe this is the one that God has picked out for me to marry. I was that convinced. Now, let me just be honest with you and tell you, to make a long story short, this girl and I actually had had a, a relationship at some time in the past, and I had messed it up. And, and, and God did a work in my life when I was a junior in college that kind of brought me back to himself from a very dry, disobedient season. And many of you know how this is. When that happens, all of a sudden your eyes get opened and you, you, you begin to see things as they really are. You begin to see things for reality. And that can be very pleasant in one sense, but it can be very, very disheartening in another. And that's the way it was for me because when I woke up spiritually, I realized I had lost the most precious thing I'd ever had and I didn't know how to get it back. 
I did all the, you know, the junior high kind of stuff. You know, when you're in love, you, you, you go crazy. You know, I sent her notes and I, I was in, you know, it was, it was calling. I would call people that lived in the city that she was in and, and ask her to go by, ask him to go by and see her and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, I just did crazy stuff. I, I, I tell you this, I tell you how bad it was. I used to go buy the shampoo that she used to shampoo her hair with. I'd get in the shower, wash my hair with it and just cry my eyes out. I mean. <laughs> Now, you understand, I'm a college football player at this point. College football players don't do that kind of stuff, you know. We do ridiculous stuff when we're in love. I was messed up. And I cried out to God for his help in that situation. I really thought there were very good prospects, you know. I, I thought, man, we're close. We can really make this thing work. There were just a few small problems. One, we were in cities 1,300 miles apart. Both of us were actually in other relationships at the time. And, and thirdly, I, she, I couldn't get her to give me the time of day. But other than that, I was really positive. I was pumped. I, I thought things were going to go well with this. Well, there came a time when we were both back in our hometown, both frustrated with life decisions we had made and in current situations that we were in. And finally, finally, after a lot of pleading and begging, she agreed to give me another hearing. And I'll tell you, I was so excited. This is all I wanted. This had gone on for about a year and this will be the first time that I got to sit down with her face to face and talk with her and share her heart, my heart with her and let her know what, what God was doing in, you know, in my life. And I, I, I couldn't wait for that opportunity. I remember the night before we were going to meet, my dad called me into his room. We sat on the edge of his bed and he said, Jim, he said, what are you, you going to say to her tomorrow? I was ready for that. I, I told dad I waited for so long. I, I just want to be honest with her. I want to tell her I've got my life together and I'm a different person. And, and I, I knew I made some mistakes and, you know, and, and, and God's called me to preach and I'm going to go into ministry. And, and, and on top of all that, I believe that she's the one. God has told me she's the one I'm supposed to marry. Immediately, I detected that my dad wasn't near as excited about that deal as I was. And I remember he looked at me and he said, Jim, you can't go over there tomorrow and tell her that you think God has told you that she's the one you're supposed to marry. In fact, Jim, he said, you better go over there and do everything you can to talk her out of marrying you. I, I want to do something this morning that, that probably is the last thing you ever thought you would come into a place like this and hear a preacher do. I'm, I want to I try to talk you out of leveraging your life for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. I want to try to talk you out of living out the rest of your days, doing just what Jesus said before he checked out of here, and that is making disciples among all people. You've been on the new website? Really cool, isn't it? I want to show it to you. I think we're going to put it up here on the screen. I mean, when you pull that puppy up, it's just, this is what it says. Every classroom, a great commission classroom. That's our motto. And it is our mission statement right under it. We equip students to serve the church and fulfill the great commission. I, I want to talk you out this morning of of doing that. Now, I feel fairly comfortable being able to do that this morning for a couple of reasons. Number one, the president is out of town. 
But number two, and most importantly, it just seems to me that when I read the Gospels that Jesus spent about as much time trying to talk people out of following him as he did into following him. This text is a case in point. Now, now many have come to this passage of Scripture suggesting that what we have here are three evangelistic conversations on the part of our Lord. He's encountering three individuals and he's calling them to be saved, to to accept him, to confess him and and come and follow him. I, I beg to differ and I'll show you why. If you look at the previous paragraph, Verse 52 says that he sent messengers ahead of him. This was a time that Jesus had turned his attention toward Jerusalem, the final stage of his ministry where he was was going to die. Verse 51 indicates that, but verse 52 clearly says he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village of Samaritans to make preparations for him. So Jesus is sending out helpers. He's sending out representatives of him. Now come on the other side of this text under consideration and look at the beginning of chapter 10. Lose the chapter division. Let the narrative continue. Notice what it says in verse 1. After this... A clear connection to everything that's been said up to this point. After this, the Lord appointed 72, don't miss it, others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. You beginning to get the picture? Before this paragraph under consideration, Jesus is sending people out in his name. After this paragraph under consideration, Jesus is sending people out in his name. Why would we look at verses 57 through 62 in any other way than that Jesus was talking to some guys about doing that very thing? About going in his name, about representing him. And it appears in these conversations with these brothers that Jesus was trying to talk them out of going. You see, listen to me, brothers and sisters, come in here real close. This paragraph is more about people like us who are in this room today than it is people out there that we might have gospel conversations with. And so I I think when we come to this passage of Scripture, we find our Lord in these three conversations bringing to the surface three reasons. Three reasons why you and I ought not to do this thing. We ought not to give ourselves to this motto and this mission. So let me show you what they are. Reason number one, because your reputation is at stake. I'm not talking about your reputation it is is now. I'm talking about what you want it to be. Enter the first applicant for this job. Verse 57 says he was someone who said to him, I I will follow you wherever you go. You've probably said it, I've said it. I know as a pastor, I've heard it many times. Somebody with tears in their eyes coming down during a, a public altar call time or some other expression of commitment saying, Pastor, I'm tired of messing around. I, I, I don't want to do business as usual anymore. I am ready to go and do whatever Jesus wants me to do. Now, I got to be honest with you and tell you that when people have come to me with this, I have reacted far differently than Jesus does in this passage of Scripture. 
I mean, I'm, I'm going to stand them up before the church and I want to introduce them and say, hey, hey, folks, listen, listen Susie's come and, and she's, she's tired of messing around and she's serious and, and she wants to sell out and go with Jesus. I want, the church is going to clap and we're going to come by and hug her and lay hands on her and pray for her and this is what we're going to do, but not Jesus. Verse 58, he says, you know, when things get tough for a fox, hunter gets after him, arrows are being shot after him, he, he's got a hole to crawl into. And the birds of the air, when the weather gets bad, they, they have nests that uh, they, 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 they can go into. But, but I want you to know this, the, the one you're signing up to be employed by, he didn't have any of those, no place to lay his head. Now, I think to understand Jesus' response here, it's, it's important for us to understand where they are and who he's talking to. And I think verse 57 helps us with that. It, it says, as they were going along the road. Well, we got to ask the question, what road? Well, I mentioned it just a moment ago. You put it in reverse and go back up to verse 51. When the days drew near for the time for, for him to be taken up, he set his face, put it in concrete, the language of the New Testament, as it were, and set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus turned his attention and began to intentionally move himself and his group toward the place where he was going to die. That's, that's wrapped up in this expression of him being taken up, the time comes for him to exit out of here. And that road was a road that led through Jerusalem to a cross. That was the road they were on. That was the road he was sending messengers out on. That's the road he was recruiting people on. This was a road that ended up, listen to me, in death. Now, the text also says someone said to him, well, Matthew in his account of this helps us with this. He tells us who this guy was says he was a scribe. And, and, and Mark, in his gospel, actually helps us with a understanding a little bit about the scribes. He, he, in the words of Jesus, gives us a resume of the scribes that I think may turn us on a little bit to why Jesus responded like he said. Listen to this in Mark chapter 12, verse 38. And in his teaching, in Jesus' teaching, he said this, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, and they like greetings in the marketplaces, and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. You get the idea? This passage in Mark's gospel helps us to understand the scribes were interested in basically two things. They were interested in status and they were interested in money. And historians tell us, consequently, that what they would do is they would seek to attach themselves to the most popular teachers of the day. They wanted to be groupies of, of the rock star preachers and rabbis. Why? Because it would enhance that. They would get long robes and, and they would get the best seats in the synagogues and people would be overhearing their prayers and so they made long prayers. And, in the context of it, they devoured widows' houses and they took the, the income that would come from that, the resources. They knew that doing this would elevate their status. It would boost their reputation. And so all of a sudden, it makes a whole lot more sense why Jesus would say this. I want you to understand, friend, this road 
that I'm traveling on is, is a road of the cross. It's a road of sacrifice. It's a road of doing without. I want you to know there are no, there are no Hampton Inns on this road. There, 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 there are no soft pillows. In fact, I want you to understand this. There are absolutely no guarantees except one, and that is that I'll walk the road with you. And you see, beloved, you and I have to ask ourselves whether that's enough. In this ministry leadership deal that we've been called to, it's important for us to stop and ask the question, what, what do we see as end game? What are our expectations of this? What are we looking for and thinking God will do in this? For many who sit in places like this, this is nothing more than a profession not any different than going to a, a college and getting a degree in business to become a businessman or a businesswoman. But I'm seeing this as, as my career field. And sometimes when you graduate from an institution like this, it doesn't work out that way. I've tried to do something in the last part of my ministry that I didn't do in the first, and that is be careful how I use terms like vocational ministry and full-time ministry. I, I probably responded to God's call under the banner of full-time ministry. I, I'll admit that to you. But the more I traveled overseas and after serving in a state where 65% of the pastors uh, in that state were bivocational, it, it, it compelled me back into the scriptures to ask the question, is that really a biblical concept? Can I really go into this thing thinking God owes me a salary? He owes me a position. He owes me an office. The fact of the matter is, at least for me personally, I've never been able to find it on the pages of the New Testament. Does that mean it's wrong if God chooses to do that? I hope not. But you see, if we travel this road with the expectation that God owes us that, then somewhere along the road, something happens and that doesn't happen. You know, what, you, you know what many do? It affects their calling. They begin to question their calling. Did I do something wrong? Or, you know, am I not good enough? And, and many throw in the towel and go back home. And beloved, what I want you to understand is the calling is not contingent upon an office or a salary. We have to ask ourselves the question, will I do this? Will I advance this gospel? Will I make disciples? Will I go to the ends of the earth even if I don't ever have a position, I don't ever have status, I don't ever have a salary? And I just want to say to you this morning that that, that may be a price that some are not willing to pay. You, you need to think about this because you need to know that your reputation is at stake on this deal. And you might, you might want to rethink this deal. You might not want to step out on this road for that reason. So let me show you a second reason. Yes, your reputation is at stake, but also your religion is safe. Religion is safe. Inner applicant number two, verse 59, to another he said, Jesus speaks this time, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, I got to admit to you for the second time, I, I, I'm kind of okay on the surface with what this guy says. I mean, it just seems like his dad has passed away and he, he needs to go and, and take care of things. It seems like a reasonable request, just like the first guy's statement seems reasonable on the surface. But for the second time in two tries, Jesus' response is not what my response would be. I mean, it almost seems hard 
Verse 60, said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, you go proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, I think the historical background and even the contemporary context would help us a little bit here. Because you see, it, the, the, the phrase in, in verse 59 at the end, to bury one's father, was, was not necessarily in the Middle East a, a, a statement that the father had actually died. In fact, in many parts of the Middle East today, this phrase continues to be used as an expression of a commitment, listen to me, a commitment to a religious tradition. You search the pages of the Old Testament, you'll find a lot of things that Jewish boys were responsible for. Reading certain scriptures at the, 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 the uh, Passover times or reading parts of the law, killing the Passover sacrifices, and on and on we could go, things that we find in the law. But one thing you will never find is you will never find a command for the son to stay at home and wait till his father dies and then get the inheritance and then go off and, and live his life. But by this time in history, this religious tradition had become so important it actually had, had over, over risen above things that were actually written in the Old Testament law. And, and, and the reason was is because oftentimes there was great financial benefit in it for the boy that stayed and do, did this. Here's a guy that's not saying I need to go to a funeral. Here's a guy that's saying I need to, I need to, I need to hang around uh, because I, I want to be faithful to this religious tradition. And so Jesus, apparently using a play on words in verse 60, says something like, why don't you leave the spiritually dead to, to, to bury their dead? Why don't you go and do something that has eternal value? Why don't you go and do something that is life-altering, that is world-changing? Why don't you go spend your life making disciples, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom? Why don't you do that? There are plenty of spiritually dead people that can hang around to live out the religious traditions. I don't know if you've ever thought about it or not. It'll, it'll probably change, I know, but I, I think still to this day, Local church ministry is about one of the safest places that you could be. I'm not, I'm not talking about people who are going to come against you and push back and not like you or disagree with you. I'm talking about in perspective, in comparison to the way other brothers and sisters of ours in Christ are living around the world and what they are going. We got it pretty good. And you, 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 you can go into many local churches today and you, can, and you can lead the programs and keep the machinery going and go through the routines and pretty much nobody's ever going to bother you and live out your life in ministry in a pretty safe place. And, and so you, you might want to think about whether or not you would, you would give that up in order to go and leverage your life for something like this. Now, you're not hearing me say that we don't need people to go into local churches here in America and lead them. I'm just simply telling you that there are many local churches that live, they thrive on just keeping the machinery going and the routine and the programs and day in and day out and everybody's happy and you can spend your life doing something like that or 
You can leverage your life, whatever the risk, whatever the cost, whatever the, 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 the comfort zones need to be broken out of in order to live a life leveraging your life for the sake of the advancement of the gospel and the mission of Christ. And so you might want to think twice before you do that because our religious traditions can be about the safest place on the planet. You have to ask yourself at every point, and this is something that I, 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 more and more, the older I get, I'm trying to be cognizant of and think about. I, I think throughout our ministries, we've got, we've got to ask ourselves the question by way of evaluation, what is it that I'm doing that a spiritually dead person could do just as effectively? How much of what I'm doing would get done and get done just as well with a person sitting in my chair wearing my shoes that was spiritually dead? Jesus says to this guy, why don't you let the spiritually dead take care of the religious traditions? Well, why don't you go and do something that makes an eternal difference? Your reputation is at stake your religion is safe. Maybe this third reason is the hardest one, and that is that your relationships are strong. Yes, they are. Another says in verse 61, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Got to be honest, third time in three conversations, I'm okay with what the guy asks. And and you know what? The text actually indicates that this guy really understood what Jesus was asking him to do. To say farewell in my English translation in the language of the New Testament was it was a word that was used for the detachment of a battalion of soldiers. They were in one place with this group and then they were sent. They were detached. There was a clear separation to another place. That's what he describes. That's the way he describes. Let me first go and make a clean break. He knew what Jesus was asking him to do. But for the third time in three tries, Jesus doesn't respond like I would respond. No one, he says, who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. Now, watch this. You've got to notice here that Jesus never tells this guy not to go back. That'd be kind of insensitive, wouldn't it? Just want to go tell my family, bye. Jesus never tells him to go back. He simply warns him. And he warns him by using uh, an illustration, an analogy out of the agricultural economy of the day that simply said the, the, the straighter the row in the field, the more productive the crop. So the more important it is for the guy plowing to make straight rows. And they knew something. They knew what I know when I, I, I ride a, a lawnmower or push a lawnmower. If I want straight rows, I don't, I don't look at my lawnmower. I don't even look at the ground right in front of it. But I pick out a spot at the end of the row, and that's what helps me to, 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 to mow a straight row. And that's what happened here. NASCAR drivers do the same thing when they make turns in those, in those, those speedways there. And many of you know more about that than I do. There's something about keeping your eye at a certain position out in front front fixed on it that allows you to make a straight row and Jesus knew something he knew something that some of you know and that is that when this brother got back into the comfort of his home with the people he loved 
he probably was going to hear some of the things that some of you have heard. (laughs) Can't you just minister right around here? There are plenty of lost people right here where we live. You're, You're not taking this ministry thing too seriously, are you? You're not becoming a religious fanatic. Or maybe hardest of all, you walk out that door and you'll never be welcome back in this home again. Jesus knew there will always be family members that are not on the same page with what it means to leverage your life for the sake of the nations to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. I'm not talking about just overseas, but spending our lives, if it's the will of God, right where we are, but spending it doing this, making disciples and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he knew, he knew there will always be family members that are not ready to step out on that road with us. And he, and he knew that the relationships that we have are the strongest pull on our lives. And just like if a farmer plowing his rows was texting while he was doing it or playing with a stereo or checking out how nice his, his plow was, he knew that he would never, ever plow a slate row. And even on an escalated level, he understood that if this guy was always looking over his shoulder, Always being pulled back, always being told, you need to stay here with us, you need to be here with us. He would never plow a straight row in the kingdom of God. And I just want to say to you this morning, you might want to think twice before you give yourself to making disciples and living your life, leveraging it on mission for Jesus Christ in everything we do, no holes barred, because... The relationships you have are so very strong. I met with that girl that day. And I don't know, I guess just out of respect for my dad, I did what he told me to do. We both came to the conversation with frustrations in our current condition shared with her what God had done in my life and he had called me to preach and I spent about three hours giving her every reason why she really didn't want to be a part of that. I told her, God's called me to preach. I'm sure I'm going to be a pastor. There won't be a lot of money in this deal. Probably move around a lot. And on and on I went. And I tell you, when I walked away from that conversation, I can't explain it to you, but I... I had peace about what I'd done, but at the same time, for several months, I really wondered if I had done the right thing. And then one Saturday morning, my phone rang in Jacksonville, Alabama, in my apartment, and the voice on the other end said, Jim, I love you, and I want to marry you. 34 years in January, we celebrated. And you know what? Every one of those things I told her that day have come true. Every one of them. It hadn't been easy, just like it hasn't been and won't be for you. But in the midst of every one of those things, 
we were able to stand on strong ground, solid ground, because we had counted the cost. You see, every one of you are smart enough to know that I really don't want to talk you out of leveraging your life, making disciples and advancing the mission of Christ. But I do, I do want to call you today to make sure that you understand that this doesn't come with a reputation or at least one that you want sometimes. No guarantees that you'll always be able to put bread on your table by your ministry. God doesn't owe you that. And you have to ask yourself the question, am I going to pursue my calling even if I don't get the status and the salary and the comfortable position? And this morning, I I want you to think about the fact of how much easier it would be just to keep the machinery going and do something spiritually dead people could do. And in your heart of hearts to say, that's not for me. I want to do something that makes a difference for eternity. I'm going to give my life to disciple making. And maybe most of all, I want you to be sure, I want you to be sure you process the strength of the relationships that you have and know this, that this road that leads to a cross, a life of self-denial may cost you some of those relationships. Jesus said it numerous times in his teaching. So that you step out on this road of a life of disciple making and gospel advancement with full assurance that he is with you every step of the way. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for not sugarcoating this thing for us. Thank you for letting stories like this of your encounters find their way into the canon of inspired scripture so that we would know and we would count the cost. I pray for myself, I pray for these brothers and sisters in Christ for a measure of grace this morning to count that cost and to say, we're ready to pay it. God, we need your help with that. We need your help with that. I need your help with that. We want to spend our lives for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, We hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for his glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.